My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Well, welcome to another day as we go through the Word of God. I'm so glad you're joining me as we continue our journey through the book of Matthew. And we're going to be looking at the first half of Matthew chapter 4 today, verses 1 to 11. And it's all about the temptation of Jesus Christ. And I hope that you're looking forward to this. Uh, Again, a reminder to check out all the links below in the description for all of my social media connections, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, podcast links, all those kind of things. Let's share and get this out Uh, And also love your comments. If you get a chance to comment below, uh, maybe a verse that stands out to you, maybe something that is new, maybe something you hadn't realized before. Listen, comment, and it really helps people. Uh, They really get so inspired by your comments. So thank you so much for doing that, and thank you for joining me as we get into Matthew chapter 4. This really is the immediate start of Jesus' ministry. He's just been baptized by John the Baptist, and before he can go and do anything, he has to endure the same thing that you and I endure, which is temptation. Jesus was led up by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. So after Jesus had identified with sinners in his baptism, he then identifies with us in temptation. It's a necessary part of Jesus' ministry. So that's why he was led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted, which is hard for us to wrap our head around. But that's because the Holy Spirit was working in unison with uh, God the Father in order for Jesus to make sure that his ministry was complete. It had to be complete in every single way. And it was a massive contrast between the glory that was following Jesus' baptism and all of a sudden now he's enduring the challenge to be tempted by the devil. And if you think about where he was before, he's, he's baptized in the cool waters of the Jordan. Now he's been led in the wilderness. Uh, he's baptized in front of huge crowds. Now it's just him alone and he's in silence. The Holy Spirit had rested on him in, like a dove. Now the Holy Spirit drives him into the wilderness. Uh, you know, he's just heard the, the voice of God saying, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now he's listening to the voice of Satan, the tempter. He was anointed by John the Baptist uh, and the power of the Holy Spirit then descending upon him. Now he's being attacked by the devil. He's he's in he one minute he's in the water of baptism, now he's in the fire of temptation. Uh, One minute the, the heavens are opening above him and now it seems like he's exposed to all of hell. There's a massive contrast between what Jesus went through in his baptism and his temptation. And that's what happens to a lot of people who give their lives to Jesus and they're baptized and immediately the devil throws absolutely everything at them and they're like, oh, they're overwhelmed. They're like, I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know if I can do it. I I thought it was going to be all smooth sailing. I thought it was going to be easy. No, this is how Jesus identified with you. Jesus understands the immediate attack that comes from the devil as soon as you declare that you are about the purposes of God. It's very important. Jesus didn't need to be tempted in order for him to grow. He endured temptation so that he could identify with you and I, Hebrews 2, Hebrews 4, and to demonstrate that his character was sinless and holy. 
Now, what's very important for you and I to remember and to know is that just like James says in James chapter 1, verse 13, the Holy Spirit cannot and will not tempt us. But the Holy Spirit may lead us to a place where we can be tempted. Now, it's not to prove something to God who knows everything. It's to prove something to us and and to, to everything and everybody who's watching us. Temptation is a certainty for everybody. Jesus' temptation was more severe probably than you and I will ever go through. And I'll tell you why. Because he was tempted directly by the devil himself. That's probably highly unlikely that that's ever going to happen to you and I because there's only one devil and he's not omnipresent. He can't be in all places at all times like God. So there's only one devil. So he can only annoy one person at a time. He can only tempt one person at a time. So if we get tempted, we're tempted by some of the demons and lesser demons. Um, but what Jesus was tempted by was by the devil and his cunning, wild schemes. And uh, it would have been so easy at any point for Jesus to be relieved by giving in to this temptation, but Jesus never yielded. That's how he was able to bear the levels of temptation that we will never know because he relied on the power of the Holy Spirit in his fullness, which is one of the things that we find so difficult to do because we want to feel like we can do a little bit of it by ourselves. But Jesus himself as the Son of God knew that he knew the, he needed the full power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Greek word that's used for temptation is the word parazzo, and it's more often an accurately translated testing more than it is temptation. Uh, William Barclay, Perizane, uh, which is the, the word from Parazzo, uh, has quite a different element in its meaning. It means to test far more than it means to tempt in our sense of the English word. Now, let's talk about him fasting 40 days and 40 nights and afterward he was hungry, just that part of those verses. Matthew points out that in this barren Judean wilderness, Jesus put himself into a severe physical condition after such a long fast. Um, he was hungry. And and when hunger pains return after a fast, it, it, it gives a physical indication that we're starting to starve to death. This is the desperation point that Jesus put himself in so that he could endure the most severe form of temptation. Uh, Matthew Poole, here was the divine power miraculously seen in upholding the human nature of Jesus Christ without anything to eat. This was a miracle. Yet it was a miracle also evident in the lives of Matt Moses in Exodus 34 and Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. It was supernatural, but it was not beyond human capacity when enabled by the Spirit of God. That's what David Guzik said. For 40 days, 40 nights, you've heard that a lot through the Bible, right? It's a familiar period of testing in the Bible. Days of Noah, uh, Israel in the wilderness. Jesus succeeded where Israel as a nation failed. They, they failed 40, 40 years. Jesus succeeded 40 days. Uh, and it wasn't just him denying himself for the sake of self-denial. Uh, or for the, you know, trying to build up spiritual pride in himself. This was a period of forced dependence upon God the Father. Hebrews 5.8, you've got to remember this. Jesus learned obedience through the things that 
he suffered. We don't like that. (laughs) We do not like to learn obedience through suffering. We would much rather learn obedience without having any suffering whatsoever. But Jesus showed us how it could be done. Okay, verse 3. Now, when the tempter came to Jesus, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Notice that when Matthew, the writer here, writes, When the tempter came... In our lives, it's not a question of whether the tempter is going to come. He is going to come. He will come. It's just a matter of when he will come. We are going to face temptation until we, we, we die and go to heaven or until Jesus comes back. Spurgeon says, but let us do what we will. We shall be tempted. God has one son without sin, but he never had a son without temptation. David Guzik says this, we should consider the circumstances that preceded the temptation of Jesus. He was in an especially devout frame of mind before his temptation. He was engaged in an act of public obedience to his father's will before his temptation. He was in an exceedingly humble frame of mind before his temptation. He was blessed by a heavenly assurance of his sonship before his temptation. He was filled with the Holy Spirit before his temptation, and he was completely separated from the world before his temptation. This is what Jesus did in his preparation for temptation. Part of the reason why we don't do well with temptation is we're not prepared. We're not prepared with the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not prepared with a devout mind towards God. And that's why as soon as the devil started to question Jesus in his identity, he was able to immediately respond. He says, if you are the son of God, the question asked by Satan is, so you're the son of God? Oh, okay, interesting. Well, I guess if you are the son of God, it wasn't so much that Satan was questioning Jesus' deity. He was challenging him to prove his deity, uh, demonstrate it through doing something miraculous. Well. So, you know, if you're the son of God, then do this. Command these stones become bread. That's a temptation to use God's uh, gifts for selfish purposes. Remember, Jesus is hungry. He's starving to death. And Satan suggests that he uses his miraculous powers to, to provide food for himself. Sounds reasonable, doesn't it? It wasn't a temptation to miraculously create riches or luxuries, but just bread. The Bible has a lot of different accounts of miraculous provision. Some at the hands of Jesus. But Jesus would not command that these stones become bread just because Satan told him to do it. And we could say that Jesus was being tested through his strengths, through his gifts. But would he allow his strengths to become traps for himself? Uh, Spurgeon said this, He bids the Lord, that's Satan, he bids the Lord to prove his sonship by catering for himself. And yet that would have been the surest way to prove that he was not the son of God. We could say that the same temptation came to Jesus on the cross when he could have just like taken himself off the cross and walked off it. But he didn't do that. He chose. He chose his path. And Jesus answered. And, and he didn't silently disagree with Satan. He answered him. He verbally answered him. And he answered him from the word of God. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And Jesus shows that through that, that every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is what's going to be more precious to us than any food that we could ever eat. But what Satan suggested to him actually made a lot of sense. Look, you're starving to death. You're the son of God. 
um, why don't you just make some bread? But what Jesus was saying is what is written in the word of God makes even more sense than what you're making to me, devil. Again, a reminder to us when we are tempted, always rely more on the word of God than what makes sense to your own mind. It's not that Jesus was refusing supernatural help in feeding himself. He was more than happy to eat what the angels brought him at the end of the temptation period in Matthew 4.11. Uh, it wasn't a matter of refusing supernatural help. It was a matter of submitting to his father's timing and his father's will in all things. It was God the father's will for Jesus to be supernaturally supplied food after the temptation was over. Jesus just trusted that, 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 would be, that he would have his needs taken care of. Jesus said it is written because by relying on the power and the truth of God's word, Jesus was willing to fight this battle as a man. He could have easily rebuked Satan, but he resisted him in a way that we can actually identify with and therefore that means we can imitate it. Um, Jesus used scripture to battle the devil and his temptation. He didn't use a spiritual power that Jesus had or has that we don't have. No, Jesus used the same tool that you and I have access to, the Word of God. See, he showed us that if it was good enough for him, it's good enough for us. Jesus fought this battle as if he, in, in his fully man state. And uh, it's interesting, Spurgeon said this, Out flashed the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and our Lord will fight with no other weapon. He could have spoken new revelations, but he didn't. He chose to say, it is already written. Jesus could have written more words for the Bible, but he didn't. He said, I'll tell you what's already written. He could have stood against Satan with his own display of glory. He could have stood against him with logic and reason. But Jesus used the word of God as his weapon against Satan and his temptation. He used a weapon that we can use. He used a weapon to defend his sonship. And he used a weapon to defeat temptation. And he used a weapon that was effective because he understood it. He understood the word of God. That's why he was able to say, it is written. And we effectively resist temptation in the same way Jesus did. We counter Satan's lies and deceit by shining the truth and the light of God's word upon whatever the deceptions are that the devil's throwing at us. If we're ignorant of God's truth in his word, then we're not armed. Our swords are not sharp. We've got nothing to fight back against the temptation. That's why I'm so glad that you're joining me with these videos because uh, I hope that they equip you. This is sharpening your sword. This is like polishing your sword. This is what we get out with like, I don't know what that noise is, but that's, that's my polishing a sword noise and just sharpening it. Oh man, that, that's what, that's what we're doing as we go through the word of God. Okay, let's move on to verse five. Then the devil took Jesus up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Satan tempted Jesus to force the Father into a supernatural event. Satan appealed to the desire that is within every man to sense approval from God and to have that approval publicly demonstrated. Yes, look at me. I'm, I'm God's chosen person because he did this for me. The pinnacle of the temple was about 200 feet above the ground. 
uh, of the Kidron Valley in Jerusalem. And, and, and if, if Jesus had have leapt off there, um, and angels protected him, then it would have been an incredibly remarkable spectacle. But R.T. France says this, the devil's suggestion was of an artificially created crisis, not of trusting God in the situations which result from obedient service. A very important distinction. Jesus just had this kind of spectacular demonstration at his baptism in Matthew chapter 3. But that must have seen a long way away after 40 days and nights of fasting in the wilderness and now being tempted by the devil. But he knew the difference. And it's interesting because the devil is, you know, a quick study, quick learner. Uh, Jesus comes back at him for it is written. So the devil's next temptation starts with, oh, well, you want to quote the Bible? Or I'm going to quote the Bible right back at you. It is written. See, the devil can use the word of God against us. We can trust the devil has the the Bible probably even better memorized than we do. Uh, he's an expert of quoting it out of context, and he uses it to defeat uh, those people that he tempts. And here the devil quotes Psalm 91 verse 11, and he takes it out of context. And he says, go ahead, Jesus, if you do this, the Bible promises that angels will rescue you, and it will be spectacular uh, form of self-promotion. Spurgeon said this about this temptation. Satan borrowed our Lord's weapon and said, it is written, but he did not use the sword lawfully. It was not in the nature of the false fiend to quote correctly. He left out the necessary words, in all thy ways, from Psalm 91. Thus he made the promise say what in truth it never suggested to. This text was falsely quoted because the devil left out the words, to keep you in all your ways. To test God in this way was not of Jesus' way. It was not of the way of the Saviour or the Messiah. And that's why this text was wrongly applied, because it was not used to teach or encourage. It was used to deceive. That's what the devil was trying to do. And Jesus understood from his knowledge of the whole counsel of God in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, that Satan was twisting this passage from Psalm 91. Jesus knew how to rightly divide the word of truth, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. And David Guzik says this, Sadly, many are willing to believe anyone who quotes from the Bible today. A preacher can pretty much say whatever he wants if he quotes a few proof texts, and people will assume that he really speaks from the Bible. It is important for each Christian to know the Bible for themselves and not to be deceived by someone who quotes the Bible but not accurately or with correct application. Again, one of the reasons why I do these videos so that you can learn to rightly divide the word of truth for yourself. I don't want you to know it just because I know it. I'm doing this because I want you to be equipped. Jesus comes back at the devil. Devil just said it is written. Jesus says, Ha it is also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus replies with scripture, but with correctly applied scripture. He knew that attempting to force or manipulate God the Father in a demonstration would tempt God, which the scriptures strictly forbid, which warns us against demanding something spectacular from God in order to prove his love or concern for us. That's you know, when we say, well, God, if you love me, you'll do this. You'll do this supernatural thing. And if you don't do it, it means you don't love me. Well, that's just immaturity. 
on a spiritual scale. God has already given us the ultimate demonstration of his love at the cross. He died for you on the cross, okay? He doesn't need to do anything to show that he loves you. He's already done it, okay? So there's nothing that you can say, well, if you love me, you'll do this, okay? No, he already loves you. You know it. He died on a cross. He conquered sin and death for you and for me. And he can do nothing more spectacular than conquer sin and death. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you'll fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Essentially, this vision invited Jesus to take a shortcut around the cross. See, Jesus came to win win all the kingdoms of the world and their glory back from Satan's domain. And Satan here offers them to Jesus as if he has the ability to do that. If only you will fall down and worship him. And it might seem like a small thing, but Jesus could lay claim to all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and to do so without enduring the cross. That's what the devil was trying to confuse Jesus with. F.F. Bruce said, The danger is greatest in our lives when the end is good. In other words, what the devil was offering Jesus could seem very good for Jesus from a personal perspective because Jesus was going to win the kingdoms of this world through enduring the cross. And here the devil says, You don't have to do that. I can just give them to you if you'll just bow now now. All he had to do was give Satan something that he was longing for ever since he, he fell Um from being a glorious angel to a profane profane and profound demon, uh, which was worship and recognition from God himself as if he was God. It reveals a lot into Satan's heart here because worship and recognition are far more precious to the devil than the possession of all the kingdoms of this world and their glory. He is the one. Okay, remember the devil's one who said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. That's what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 14 that the devil would say. That's, that's his goal is to become greater than God. This way he says to Jesus, well, I will give you I will give you. Now, evidently, Satan does have authority over this world and its governments. There is no doubt about that. It has been given to him. The temptation couldn't have been real unless there was some real sense that Satan does actually possess all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Now, why is that? Why does Satan have such incredible power over this world right now? Well, Adam and his descendants gave this authority to the devil. God gave Adam the earth and told him to be a steward over it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And Adam, Adam willingly turned it over to Satan. And after that, all of Adam's descendants have, have cast their vote of approval by their own personal sin, including you and me. Now, obviously and ultimately, all things belong to God. But God allows Satan to function as the God of this age, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, for a purpose. See, God either makes things happen or allows things to happen according to his purposes. Nothing happens unless it's according to the purposes of God. This is why the fallen world that we live in is in the mess that it's in. It's because 
We don't want to submit to the purposes of God. But Jesus did. He fully submitted to the purposes of his heavenly father. And that included being tempted. And then he says to Satan, away with you, for it is written. And Jesus replies with scripture again, commands the devil to leave. And, and, and in the same way, James chapter 4, verse 7, we're told, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It worked for Jesus and it worked for us. And the temptations of Jesus remind us that it is no sin to be tempted as long as the temptation is resisted. Uh, even horrible temptations like Jesus went through, uh, Jesus was tempted to worship Satan. They're not in themselves sin if they are resisted. Okay, let's move on to verse 11. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The fact that the devil left him means that Jesus won. He won because he recognized Satan's mode of attack, which was lies and deception. Satan is primarily a deceiver. And for those who live in light of the cross, deception is his only tool. He has no other power over you apart from deceiving you because demonic powers were disarmed at the cross of their real weapons and power, Colossians 2 verse 15. But deception is extremely effective as a tool at leading us into sin and it causes us to live lives where we're scared and we're fearful and we believe. We're like, oh, I know that that's in the Bible, but I don't know if I can believe it's for me. And, and I know I'm not meant to fear anything, but I do fear things. And, and it's rational, right? And then we as Christians convince ourselves to have fear. But, 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 but what did Paul write to Timothy? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Jesus showed the only effective counter to deception is God's truth, not man's wisdom and understanding. First, we have to see temptation for what it is. It's a lie. Then we have to combat temptation with the word of God. Then we must always build ourselves up in the truth of the word of God. And you've got to have it in your heart because each of the passages that Jesus quoted back to Satan in his section come from the word of God. In fact, they all actually come from the book of Deuteronomy, which is very interesting. Every uh, reply that Jesus gave came from Genesis, uh, Genesis, Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, 7 and 8. Now, it's not unreasonable to suppose that maybe Jesus had been meditating upon those scriptures before he went into the wilderness uh, and, and he fought Satan with the fresh bread of what he'd been studying. We, we, we have to make sure we always have fresh bread to answer Satan with. That's why when you're daily in the word of God, something happens. You've got your swords ready to go. You've got a verse ready to go from just what you studied that morning. Uh, Spurgeon said this, It is noteworthy that all the passages quoted by our Lord come from the book of Deuteronomy. Thus did our Lord put special honour upon that part of the Old Testament, which he foresaw would be the most attacked. The past few years have proved that the devil does not like Deuteronomy. Now, this is important perspective. Jesus thought this was important for us to know. Uh, only, uh, what I mean by that, Jesus thought it was important for us to know what happened when he was tempted in the wilderness. Because nobody else there. So he had, the only way we could know is if he told somebody afterwards, right? Uh, only he could have told the gospel writers what happened to him as he was tempted in the wilderness. And we need to learn from this. We need to learn how we can overcome temptation. But even more importantly, we need to learn how Jesus overcame temptation on our behalf and succeeded as the sinless son of God where Adam and Moses and everybody else had failed. Now, what happened to Jesus after this temptation? The angels the angels came and ministered to him. Do you know God will never forsake 
those people who endure temptation, he's always got a band of angels ready to come and minister to those who have endured temptation. God's going to find a way to minister to us when we've been through a time of temptation. He's going to find a way to meet our needs as we endure temptation. R.T. France said, The angelic help of Psalm 9111, which Jesus refused to call for illegitimately, is now appropriately given. In other words, they were the ones who fed him. Ministered implies particularly the provision of food. And again, the experience of Elijah seems to be recalled. This is this is where my observation comes from today. Uh, where, where are you up to today? Where am I up to today? Are we in the cool waters of the Jordan or are we in the wilderness being tempted? Do we feel like we've got the Holy Spirit descending upon us like a dove? Or do we feel like we've got the Holy Spirit pushing us into a period of, of testing that we're like, I can't believe I'm in the middle of this. Jesus won this battle of temptation in the wilderness so that no matter where you are, you can win. But you can only win through the same power that Jesus won. That is the power of the Holy Spirit and the reliance upon the written word of God. I've got a challenge for you. I gave this in to our church a few weeks ago. There's way too many people that use devices for reading their Bible. Nothing wrong with it. I love using technology. But I tell you what, when I'm reading my Bible on my iPad or my iPhone, notifications pinging up all the time, uh, emails, text messages, notifications about the weather, some news item. Listen, get the Word of God, read it in its paper form, where it's written. Nothing can distract you. No notifications. Nothing can come up. It's just you and the living Word of God. I encourage you. Try it today. Do your best and make sure you get the opportunity to spend time with you and Jesus in his word. Just want to pray over you. Heavenly Father, be with everybody today, Lord. Bless them, encourage them, lift them up. I pray, Lord, that they would just, as they read your word, that they would be excited and inspired, challenged and equipped by everything that you put into their heart as they read your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.